Good evening, everyone. This is your weekly podcast, Ex Nihilo, from the Diocese of Orlando. This is your host, Father Martin, and your co-host, Steve Buckland. Greetings, salutations, and blessings upon all. This is the reunion of the brilliant mind. That's right. And I just again. happen to be around three whole podcasts in a row, Father Martin. What this can is, I say? Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. inspired. It's dangerous. It's very <laughs> dangerous. I'm trying but, very hard to get fired. I know. Right. <laughs> well, hopefully, this podcast will help go a long way towards getting both of us fired. So that'll be great. So we mentioned dangerous, and we're no banter for this one. We're just jumping right into the topic. Sure. It's fast approaching the 500th anniversary of our good friend, one Martin Luther, who was responsible largely as a symbol for the Protestant Reformation. Which is not the same as Martin Luther King Jr. No, no, definitely different. He was alive in the 1900s. This guy was alive in the 1500s. Right. Uh, he's quite a lot of folks actually don't realize, but Martin Luther was actually a, a priest, an Augustinian he, priest. Correct. They make good beer, the they, Augustinians. Yeah, you sorry. would expect Steve to know that, of course. <laughs> um, just a little intro about his life. He he was actually a quite brilliant uh, individual. Joined the Augustinians, and um, but but for some reason, I guess the upbringing, but. Martin has always been a bit of a uh, scrupulous person. Even within the order itself, he was known to be quite strict, um, quite scrupulous. Uh, Steve, any uh, contribution from your abundant (laughs) research? (laughs) Well, it's funny because, you know, when you think about Martin Luther today, I think what pops into most people's head is the Lutheran Church. Right. right? Which was founded in Germany, uh, not directly by Martin Luther, uh, as it would happen, um, mm-hmm. uh, not in the way that, say, John Wesley founded uh, the Methodist Church, for right. example. Uh, but I don't think it was Luther ever intention to actually form a church per se. Well, not at the beginning. Right. You know, you really have to kind of wind it back. And and one of the things that I was I was shocked when I decided we, we talked about doing this topic. And as I decided, well, I, didn't, I thought I knew a little bit about Martin Luther. And then the more I read, the more I realized I didn't know um, all that much about him at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, recently, I guess about a month ago, Cardinal Mueller, right, yep. came out with some comments uh, about uh, Martin Luther. And then recently, even several months ago, we saw Pope Francis um, celebrating right the anniversary of the Reformation, and, and I really would would caution the use cele- celebrating mm. a, a few maybe uh, commemorating be better. right a few weeks ago, a few months ago Bishop Noonan within the Diocese of Orlando also cooperate with Bishop Estevez and the Bishop of the Lutheran diocese i suppose sure and and they they had a wonderful prayer service at the the shrine of our lady uh, queen of the universe and um, it it is actually a commemoration because i don't think the the word celebration is fitting i don't either in, in a sense that because and you won't either podcast listener not after you hear this <laughs> and we're not trying to stir any pot per se but but uh, the, the Reformation, or so-called the, the, the beginning of it, when when Martin uh, nailed the ninety-five thesis, which we will get to in just a bit, it is the it was the beginning of a lot of bloodshed, even sure. lots of violence. And uh, to be fair, he wasn't the only person. I mean, uh, so Martin Luther, just kind of for time reference, born in fourteen eighty, died fifteen forty-six. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a long time ago. Um, but there were others who were kind of 
making their voices heard in response to what was at that time, um, depending on who your historian is, was a fairly corrupt um, organization that was supporting the church. So right. to say that the church herself was corrupt probably isn't really correct. Um, but it's there the were certainly the institution and the management thereof was suffering um, through some problems. And, but That's... in order to understand it in context, people don't realize, you know, everyone says, well, that, you know, the church was, you know, king crowning kings and they owned all this land and they had all this stuff. <clears throat> but in order to kind of get a better handle on that, you have to understand it in the context of the times. And so, like so many things in history, when you look at it with the, the lens of the 21st century, mm-hmm. you know, you say, oh, well, they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that. But the reality was the church had to step in because there was no secular order after the Rome, you know, after Rome had fallen, which mm-hmm. provided, in a sense, secular order and had existed for many hundreds of years. So Rome kind of goes away, as you would know it, uh, really in the 600s. And then there was this struggle to have any kind of order um, at all. And that's, so, when, that's when Leo I <clears throat> and then Gregory I, they all stepped in and, and put into order uh, the chaos. Because yeah. after the city of Rome fell, the capital of the empire fell, it was chaotic. chaotic, Very. And the church was like the beacon of, uh, of hope, the beacon of order. Yep. Um, but, but it necessitated them stepping into the secular world, which right. it had heretofore hadn't really done, certainly not on to the scale of what was to come right. um, when we get the founding of the Holy Roman Empire on Christmas Day in, in 800. When, when Leo crowned Charlemagne as the emperor. Uh, but that that give us a really proximate um, cause, whereas... A well, more, that's the seed, right? Yeah, a more of an immediate um, social context at that point. And, and you will understand more the reaction of Luther when you understand what's going on in the church at the, that point. Right. So after the church is jumping into all of this secular stuff, land ownings, holdings, money, things like that, um, this is where things begin to get a little off the rails because... The When, church was never intended to be a fiscal or monetary or landowning system. It's right. a spiritual house, mm-hmm. um, never really intended to do that. And so what happens is is men uh, in our corrupted state, uh, folks, you know, we make bad decisions. Everybody does. Um, and really what, were, what was happening by the time Luther is around, and really even in a couple hundred years before that, is you're going to you see abuses. So, right. Things that had been part in place for good were over time, over many hundreds of years, abused. Right. Then the major um, situation going on was that the construction of St. Peter's Basilica. Right. Uh, reconstruction. When, reconstruction because Leo X, Pope Leo X, one of the Medici's pope, hmm. decided that uh, he needed a, a grander basilica. basilica. So he knocked out the old St. Peter's and he built... Uh, what what we looked at right now is St. Peter's Basilica. It it is a humongous, a massive, and really beautiful uh, structure. But of course, it doesn't come cheap, though. It Father. didn't come cheap, and so he needed money. <laughs> yep. For the construction of it, so he raised taxes for one thing, and yep. shockingly, he began to send different preachers, especially the Dominicans, the dogs of uh, of the Lord, as they call themselves. Uh, to preach around and to collect money. Um, there was one guy, John Tetzel, was a Dominican friar in Germany, 
And he was so effective in his preaching. He said that whenever a coin dropped in the box, the sound that it makes is the sound that a soul was free from purgatory. <laughs> and uh, and at that point also, the cult of relics was huge. Right. So Luther looking at this and saying that, okay, just because you drop a couple of bucks into a box and somehow you uh, you get indulgences... That's or it somehow frees you. So, you know, yep. five, you get, for $5, you get t- ten, 10 minutes off your time in purgatory. Right. And even one of the nobles in Germany, when they asked John Tetzels, um, is it okay for me to pay for future indulgence? That's like, I'm not sinning yet, but, but, but I'm going to, just in case, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pay for future indulgence. Is that okay? And John said, yes. And so, you see, it's not so much the church herself, but the individual uh, making bad decisions and misleading people, which has repercussions, people. right? And the rep, you know. And to be fair, were were did he have a right to be upset? Absolutely. Were they doing things that they shouldn't have been doing? Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, you know, those are the people who represent Mother Church, much in the same way as you do now as a priest, True. I do as an employee of the cathedral, um, and and working, and and as all of us do who are Catholic and identify ourselves as Catholic, we are all representatives of the church. And so certainly there's a lot of stuff that was going on. And I mentioned that he wasn't the first. So there are other folks who were kind of rising up against right. these things. Kind of uh, prominent would be like John Wycliffe uh, in England, who was around the 1300s. We set him on fire. We did, yeah. Well, okay. So, yeah, maybe not our <laughs> finest moment. Uh, and Jan Hus uh, also heading into the 1400s. So a lot of what I think you know, a lot of what he kind of, what Martin Luther is going to codify and, and kind of create for himself as a lightning rod were thoughts that were not necessarily new, right. but hadn't really kind of been spun together and, and, and published there so prominently. There was a lot of discontents and brewing underneath the surface of the church. And, uh, and even Paul Luther, what began with a very good intention, the, the 95 Theses, when, when you study history, the church did not reject all of them. Only 41. Only 41. So half of them were right. <laughs> yes. And, and his main concern was the question of justification and salvation. Right. Um, Which is something that Luther, you know, when you read, when you go and, and dig into Luther, there was something he had always struggled with, was salvation. Not being able to, to understand. Yeah, the, to the, grasp it. Yeah. The, the brokenness of human nature, but also re- redemption that was offered to it. Um, so uh, the poor thing was so disgusted with everything going on in the church at the point. So he, uh, on Halloween, on Halloween of, uh, I'm trying to see, remember the year. 157, well, that was after, year after. So he published them in the fall of 1517. It wouldn't be until fall of 1518. Right, he tried, he tried to, uh, to reach the bishop. The bishop ignored him. He tried to send a thesis to the pope. The pope ignored him. So that got him mad. And a year later, he nailed it on. Oh, so that would have been 1516. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, right. 1516. Yeah, so he nails them on the door of the church in the fall of 1517. Right. Uh, right on, about his birthday on Halloween. On Halloween, actually. yeah. Yep. So, uh, so that was quite a dramatic uh, situation. It it was like a, a match strike into uh, powder keg. That's pretty much it, and it yep. exploded because there was so dis- so much discontent beneath the surface that it just exploded. It spread, uh, and of course, the political leaders of the time jump on it, pounce on it. Because now they can use someone to discredit the church, 
and 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 it becomes not only a religious but a political battle as well. Right. Yeah. And eventually, you know, they went back and forth. Um, he was Luther was actually ordered to go to Rome, um, and he never went. And so they so Rome Rome did what Rome would do. They sent somebody to him, uh, and uh, and it was a very as, as which Cardinal is that. Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, that was on Cajetan. I, I, I can't remember now, but... Thomas DeVio. DeVio. Yep, Cajetan. That's exactly right. To meet Carter with, Cajetan? Yep, that's All right. who went. So he was, uh, he, yeah, yeah. He was very intransient with the good cardinal, uh, and that did him no favors. So he wasn't interested in hearing what the cardinal had to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, and and the the issue with, with Rome was, was the 41 of the 95 thesis that they would that they basically threw an issue with. So they wanted to talk about those, and he wasn't really interested in talking at that point. Right. Uh, friends, a lot of these battles, it's not so much the the theory, it's not so much the theology that is the debate, it's yeah. the humanity, and the communi- it's the this, ego. Right, and this is where the communication is going to break down, because his response to the papal bull, right? He burned it! Well, he burned it, and then he published a work. And by the way, when I say published, one of the things that Luther has working for him at this time is the introduction of the movable type printing press by Johannes Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. And so publishing documents, which before had to all be done by hand, um, becomes it's much easier to get the word out. And so he publishes a work entitled Against the Execrable Bull of the Antichrist. <laughs> well, the name itself already was pretty. Uh... So you can see that that's really taking it up a notch. Uh, mm. And he said the purpose of the bull was to compel men to deny God and worship the devil. So, so immediately, <laughs> that kind of bombast you'd see now in social media, right? right? I mean, when I first was reading these things, I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't sound all that different from what we would put, publish out on Twitter that or much. on Facebook, right? Before, you know, you just had to publish it on paper. Um, and then, of course, he would go on to, to publish some other famous treaties and uh, eventually labeled the Roman Church as the Whore of Babylon and the Pope as the Antichrist. So, <laughs> so it's hard to have dialogue um, when you, you, know, this you is kind where, of behave This that is way. where I find it unfortunate. I, I love church history, and I, I have to humbly admit that we, we as a church— haven't always lived up to the ideal, the invitation, no, the just, Lord. Just as we as individuals. As individuals as well. And so uh, we always need reform. We need always need to change. And something that, that uh, Colonel Mueller that you mentioned said that I caught my attention and I, I totally agree with, and it might not play in my favor as the diocesan liaison for interreligious dialogue, but here's the thing. The, Colonel Mueller said, Martin was not a reformer. No. He was a revolutionary. And what is the difference? What is the difference? At that point, there was a lot of people who were discontent with the church. But like St. Teresa of Avila, like St. Ignatius, like St. Dominic, all these individuals who were discontent, but in their own way, they remind themselves that obedience, obedience, the obedience will always be the key that, you know, you can make reforms, but there's no need to break away. Sure. And the difference really between the reformer and the revolutionary is the reformer would work from within. So trying to change things from within. So what if, you know, if you kind of play the what if, what if when he had met the cardinal, they had actually sat down and, you know, talked about it. Maybe there could have been common ground. 
Um, and certainly that wasn't, you know, that wasn't what happened. And, and then many, you know, towards the end of his life, um, Luther, you know, he had had some writings on, you know, encouraging um, German nobility to, to rise up and uh, go against rebellious people. Um, to the nobility, that, that article advocated the abolishment of uh, celibacy. Yeah, yeah. He actually left his own vows, married uh, a nun. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, and then he wrote a letter, asked, you know, urging noble protectors to end the violence. He published a pamphlet called Against the Murderous Thieving Hordes of Peasants Who Are Rising <laughs> Up Against the Nobility. And so by the end of the year after he published that, over 130,000 people had been killed. Wow. Peasants killed by the nobility. And, you know, it's just and, – and then he went on. I mean, he, as he got older in life, and maybe this was kind of the nature of the beast, um, he just seemed to get angrier and angrier. Um, and his hatred wasn't just against Rome. He, he was very um, – very much at that time against the Jews and and a few others, but there's something that Bishop Noonan said once, and and I uh, I totally agree with. He always said, "What is the driving force from within?" Mm. You can you can want change, you can want you know to make a difference, but if the driving force is anger, it ended up being like wildfire. Yeah, you can never control it. At some point, you're gonna burn everything around you, and you're gonna end up burning yourself. Right. Whereas, yeah. uh, when whereas the if the passion was driven from love, then that's a whole different story, and I think that's the difference between the reformer and the revolutionary. Sure, and anger in, or love, right? And you think about from a historical perspective, and and certainly as we're having these discussions, it in no way is um, has no reflection upon the Lutheran Church or or any of the Protestant churches. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray more now, more fervently now than ever for yeah, no, for us to we, be we back have, together. We in have one family. so but, many beautiful dialogues. And oh, there's a lot of absolutely. differences has been resolved. And but the sadness is, and I think what what Luther's life does, and kind of the result of the Protestant, because remember, the Protestant Reformation is responsible for millions of Christians killing each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Thirty Years' War in Germany wiped out twenty five percent or what was then the Holy Roman Empire, 4.5 million people in the 1600s died, Christians killing Christians, which is not what Jesus wanted. That is wounding the body of Christ. <laughs> it is, in a very dramatic way. And so, you know, so this, I think now um, when we look at it historically, it's, it's, if, it, if you can't be a Christian of any faith and not be sad, to see Christians killing Christians sure. or anyone killing anyone, but let alone Christians killing Christians. And unfortunately, um, you know, this is what this is what the revolution led to. Right. And uh, that's why I, I found it so touching, so consoling to see the three bishops uh, at that prayer service embracing each other, giving each other the sign of peace. Uh and so a lot of my friends, because when I went to CPE, mm-hmm. um, that is clinical pastoral education, a chaplaincy program, I worked along with a lot of Lutheran uh, ministers. Yeah. And uh, some of them are celebrating, uh, quote unquote, the rebel, uh, Reformation. Um, and I, I don't think it is a chance to celebrate as much as a, a reminder to pray. Yeah. To pray that, like Jesus said in John 17, let them be one. May all this, the wounds of division, the wounds of hatred, the wounds of anger be healed 
so that we can see each other as brothers and sisters, that we may come overcome these petty differences. Yeah. That we may be reunited and become one. If there's anything that we as Catholic Christians ought to ought to remember or commemorate is commemorating the pain of division and commemorating the need to pray for unity. Yeah. And the reminder that, you know, the result of all this um, was by, you know, us not doing uh, as good a job as we should have been doing um, administering Mother Church at the time. And right. so... A constant um, reminder to, to do examination of conscience as yeah. well. Uh, and the responsibility that I we all I am hold. a broken man just like the next person. And so often my differences, my arguments and conflicts with the next person is not so much on the ideas. Mm-mm. We can be diff- we can disagree on ideas, but we cannot attack the person. Exactly. But sometimes I think that the, our humanity is reduced. It's just, just that. Yep. When you disagree on something and we, when you can't debate, you sort of attack the person personally. Right. Well, I think, uh, I mean, honestly, probably most of us are just lazy at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, really. I mean, it takes, you know, you, you sit down and you want to dive into, I mean, there, there's probably a hundred, at least a hundred books I could have picked up on Martin Luther Mm-hmm. Um, to read, you know, and it's like, well, how many hours do I have to read about Martin Luther? And so you kind of skim through and you, 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 and know, you so pick you up dismiss, the highlights. And so you dismiss them. Right. So how much can you really do? You know, I mean, how how in-depth can we really have? Uh, but that's what we're called to do is to, if we're going to have disagreements, particularly about ideas, to at least be educated enough or to have the courage enough to say, you know, I really don't, I thought I knew about this issue, but I really don't understand it. <laughs> and that requires, a, that requires humility. That's I mean, true. And, and, you know, so humility on all sides. So, you know, Martin Luther, uh, you know, as we, as we commemorate the, the Reformation, um, you know, did we end up having reform that came out of it? Absolutely. You know, certainly the church did, the church did recognize, but what a terrible cost right. uh, for reform. It did come with a terrible cost. Um, but you know, God, God has a way of making good out of any terrible situation. Absolutely. And so we continue to trust, and more importantly, we continue to pray for the unity of the of the church, the uh, the body of Christ, and may the Lord always make us one. And just a reminder, if you have any comments or you have any suggestions for topics, we now have an email address. Uh, we're dangerous. Uh, nothing Orlando. That's nothing Orlando at gmail.com. <laughs> Steve was wholly behind this. Okay, so any if anything, <laughs> he's responsible. But I promise we'll we'll respond we to will, any right. We, comments as long as questions. you're okay with a non-timely response, send in an email. We'll try our best. <laughs> I hope everyone have a wonderful week, and hopefully this this discussion has given you some light on on this issue or this question and. Uh, May God bless you always. Amen. <laughs>